Welcome to Cases and Controversies, a legal podcast by Bloomberg Law. I'm Kimberly Robinson, and I'm here today with Jordan Rubin. Hey, Jordan. Hi, Kimberly. So on Thursday, the Senate Judiciary Committee held an extraordinary hearing uh, for the confirmation of Supreme Court nominee Brett Kavanaugh. And in particular, the goal was to air out sexual assault claims uh, by Dr. Christine Blase Ford. Now, I say that the hearing was extraordinary, and it truly was. I can say that the feeling in the room was definitely people got a sense that something really historic was going on. But we're here on a Friday, and things are really likely to change quite rapidly, as they have with um, these sexual assault allegations and kind of the confirmation process. So It's 12, 11 p.m. right now, just so <laughs> we know when this is happening. I think today uh, we should maybe take a look even further forward than just the next couple of days and talk about uh, what this confirmation battle means for Kavanaugh going forward and and what it means for the Supreme Court itself. How does that sound to you? Sure. It seems like the White House is pretty confident, at least right now. Again, we're speaking on Friday and uh, Judge Kavanaugh's chances of getting on the court. Um, here is White House spokesperson Raj Shah uh, talking about how he sees the confirmation going forward. And that clip was provided by C-SPAN. Is the White House confident at this moment you have the vote? Yeah, we're, we're confident that we're going to get there. Do you have, assur- have, you have assurances? Do you have assurances? I don't have assurances with me and along with you guys today, but I feel very confident he's going to get confirmed very soon. Is the president? Uh, I'm not sure. Has the president spoken to McConnell? I'll see you guys. You talked to him yesterday. So, Jordan, whether or not the White House is correct about Kavanaugh's chances, do you think this is going to impact the Supreme Court as an institution? I think it will, right? People say that every new justice affects the court, right? I think it's fair to say, though, that the confirmation of Judge Kavanaugh, if it happens, would be much more of a shift uh, than the Gorsuch confirmation was, right? I think that's for a couple reasons. One, with the confirmation of Gorsuch, leaving aside the whole Merrick Garland debacle and how the seat was left open in order for Gorsuch to take it, in terms of who Gorsuch was replacing, he's replacing Scalia. That's sort of a you know a one-for-one trade, not a huge ideological shift on the court. Here, I think, first, it's hugely monumental, even before Dr. Ford's allegation came forward, that you were going to have Judge Kavanaugh a solid conservative by all accounts replacing uh, Kennedy, who is not a solid conservative. And so that already was going to be a monumental change on the court, I think, even before all of this happened. And uh, that was the discussion before these sexual assault allegations came up. And so we were already looking at a generational shift. So now, if Kavanaugh is confirmed, we're looking at a generational shift in terms of the rulings that are going to be handed down by the court. But we're also looking at uh, you know, a generational moment, I think, similar to the moment uh, with Justice Thomas's confirmation after Anita Hill made some allegations against him that were also of a, of a sexual nature. And so I think certainly there's no question that this will affect the court. Is it going to affect the actual decisions that Kavanaugh participates in and comes down on how he votes? Maybe not. But how they're perceived, especially with any case that even 
you know, gets within three zip codes, as he said, during his confirmation of anything that resembles a sexual assault allegation or anything related to remembering the events of what happened. There's no question that we're going to be looking at if there's any connection between the politically charged opening statement that he gave yesterday and the actual substance of his ruling. Yeah, so let's go ahead and listen to a few clips from from Kavanaugh's really fiery opening statement uh, that he gave on Thursday in front of the Judiciary Committee. This confirmation process has become a national disgrace. The Constitution gives the Senate an important role in the confirmation process. But you have replaced advice and consent with search and destroy. Since my nomination in July, there's been a frenzy on the left to come up with something, anything, to block my confirmation. Shortly after I was nominated, the Democratic Senate leader said he would, quote, oppose me with everything he's got. A Democratic senator on this committee publicly, publicly referred to me as evil. Evil, think about that word, and said that those who supported me were, quote, complicit in evil. Here he is again, another really striking clip from Judge Kavanaugh. This whole two-week effort has been a calculated and orchestrated political hit, fueled with apparent pent-up anger about President Trump and the 2016 election, fear that has been unfairly stoked about my judicial record, revenge on behalf of the Clintons, and millions of dollars in money from outside left-wing opposition groups. This is a circus. So, Jordan, I mean, you, you talked a little bit about what this means, you know, this, this particular seat that Kavanaugh is replacing. I guess I'm also concerned with just how people view the court itself, apart from Judge Kavanaugh. And we know that Chief Justice Roberts is deeply concerned about the institution and about the integrity of the institution and really wants it to appear above politics. Do you think that's possible now? No way. There's absolutely no way. And that's if and that's if we're going to take the word of Judge Kavanaugh himself in his opening statement. Um, this has been framed from his view, whether rightly or wrongly, as a conspiratorial attack against him. Uh, from Judge Kavanaugh's telling, Dr. Ford's allegation was something that Senator Feinstein kept in her back pocket in the event that they were unable to take him down on the merits of his decisions, and that only then at the last minute was it deployed as potentially revenge for the Clintons, as Kavanaugh said. And so this is a little different even from what Judge Thomas, then Judge Thomas, said at his confirmation. He certainly mm -hmm. made very strong statements about how he felt about the process. Right, it's a very that, memorable line where he called it a, a high-tech lynching. Exactly, and so this was Kavanaugh's high-tech lynching moment in a sense. He certainly made that out uh, from his view as that's what was happening to him. But I think even from what Thomas said, uh, Thomas said, Certainly, he was bemoaning the process. There's no question about that. But I think Kavanaugh took it a step further by making the, the subtext of it the text and by framing it in explicitly political terms. And look, from his view, uh, he was maybe just saying 
what other people actually thought. And if that's true, that this was some sort of democratic hit job against him, then he's just making that clear. Regardless, though, there's the question of uh, whether that is appropriate to frame it that way, because we're going to have somebody who's potentially going to be ruling on cases involving uh, very sensitive political issues, even in addition to the sexual assault allegations. And so when we have uh, a judge who wonders aloud and is actually seems to be pretty certain that the political attacks against him, not even the political attacks, just the mere airing of sexual assault allegations against him are part of a well-funded, coordinated campaign against him. As he put it, it's going to be fair to wonder how that's going to factor into his opinions and how people should, should view the court. So I think you're right when you ask if this is going to affect the institution. I don't see how it doesn't. Yeah, I think we'll, um, I, I'm not sure if Justice Kavanaugh will actually recuse himself himself from those kinds of cases, but I certainly do expect that people will make those requests, and so this issue will, will continue to be brought up. But similarly, you, you know, you mentioned Justice Thomas. I mean, recently we had somebody calling uh, for his impeachment relating to some of the allegations that, you know, we heard during the um, Anita Hill hearings. And so I do think this is something that's going to follow Kavanaugh around, especially, you know, another wrinkle here is that the code of conduct for judges uh, specifically says that judges shouldn't make partisan statements. They shouldn't weigh in on politics. That certainly hasn't um, been followed um, by the justices every second. I think, you know, Justice Ginsburg comes to mind where during the 2016 election, she called Donald Trump a faker and suggested that she might want to move out of the country. Um, But, I mean, interestingly, that code of conduct doesn't actually bind the justices of the Supreme Court. So not clear, you know, what people could do about it. Exactly. Uh, Although I will note that in his um, end of the year speech a few years ago, uh, the chief justice did say that the justices do feel bound uh, by the code of conduct. So it's not something that they totally ignore. Well, I'd say if there is one word to describe Judge Kavanaugh's testimony, I think unbound might be one way to to put it. (laughs) Well, I've been talking to people for some of the reporting I've been doing, and I think there's a feeling, uh, as I mentioned at the top, that this is something really historical. Uh, but others are saying that, you know, this isn't the only time that the Supreme Court has been cast in a political light. Sure. You know, the confirmation hearing for Justice Brandeis was, you know, very political, what, what a lot of historians are telling me. And indeed, it gave us the birth of the confirmation hearing. Right. So trying to think how the Supreme Court goes forward, anything you, you suspect that the justices who are currently at the court might be thinking about? Um, what kinds of cases they want to hear, what kinds of decisions they want to have. Right. Yeah. So I think, so going back to maybe when we still had an eight justice court the last time, I think we saw the justices maybe staying out of some of the more highly charged cases, whether they wanted to or not. And so even aside from the politics, they only really were able to reach more narrow rulings. And so who knows, maybe once uh, Kavanaugh's on the court, Again, we're talking about from the chief justice's perspective, maybe there will be some temptation to lower the temperature a bit and maybe, you know, not maybe wait to start, you know, chipping away at Roe v. Wade until next year or something like that. Um, So really, we'll just 
have to see, but you do have to think that someone like Chief Justice Roberts uh, is unhappy by how this is going. Um, as I was watching, I was wondering what uh, Judge Kavanaugh's first, uh, you know, sort of even casual meeting at the court or sitting with Justice Ginsburg was going to be like, uh, what's, what it's going to be like when they're sitting face to face. But again, as you mentioned, this isn't the first sort of highly charged moment that we've had. Justice Thomas has continued to serve uh, for years. And by all accounts, it's mostly collegial between everyone on the court. And so I think they, they know that no matter how they feel, they, they need to make the best of it. Yeah, I think one thing that um, is weighing on some senators' minds as they consider uh, whether to vote yes or no for Kavanaugh is this issue of an FBI investigation, which groups are kind of pointing to as a way to uh, depoliticize um, <clears throat> this moment. Uh, here is uh, Senator Coons, who sits on, he's a Democratic member of the Judiciary Committee. Um, this is from our reporter, Patrick Gregory. Do you think Brett Kavanaugh is fit to serve on the D.C. Circuit after today? Um, I think uh, we should promptly move to a nonpartisan investigation um, of these broad allegations against him so that there is an opportunity for us as a committee um, to consider them completely. Today, uh, which was a long uh, and demanding day, we only had two sworn witnesses in front of us, Dr. Ford and Judge Kavanaugh, uh, and there remain, I think, unanswered, unresolved allegations that are serious and should be considered by the committee. What, though, if some senators vote no and it turns out that Kavanaugh is voted down? What does that mean for Kavanaugh going back to the D.C. Circuit? Yeah, I was wondering about that, too, because let's say that he's voted down and the stated or unstated reason is that it's because of these allegations. Then it's a question of, okay, if you weren't the right person, if you didn't have the right character or temperament, uh, whatever the way it is that you want to put it, to serve on the Supreme Court. Are you then okay to be serving on, uh, you know, the second most important court in the country or any court? And so it seems like it's tough if he's voted down to just sort of go back and kind of pretend like, like nothing happened, where maybe that could have been the case if he was voted down, let's say, on the merits. But now, if it's because of an ethical reason, uh, then I think that's sort of a whole, a whole different story. But as we saw, even if he were to be voted down from Kavanaugh's uh, opening statement yesterday, it doesn't seem like he'd go anywhere, at least on his own accord. But technically, this is something that the D.C. Circuit has to look into, right? Mm -hmm. And isn't it technically the rejected nominee Merrick Garland, who has a lot of control in this situation, assuming Kavanaugh is back in the the crosshairs of the D.C. Circuit? Yeah, well, we've already seen a couple of um, com judicial complaints filed by groups with Democratic ties against uh, Judge Kavanaugh to the D.C. Circuit. Um, the process is that the chief judge of that circuit is kind of responsible for overseeing those. But what we've really seen over the past, and especially in light of you know the history you just mentioned with Merrick Garland, is that it's likely to be... Um, transferred to a different circuit oh, to okay. handle. And so like we we won't see uh, Merrick Garland. Right, because on the federal, at the circuit level, they're still bound by any code of conduct That's or right. recusal. Yeah, you know, Senator Blumenthal, another Democratic senator on uh, the Judiciary Committee, really brought up, um, you know, these kinds of complaints about how fit uh, Kavanaugh is to sit on the D.C. Circuit. And he pointed to some questions about uh, Kavanaugh's temperament as evidenced by the by the confirmation hearings. Again, here's some audio from our reporter, Patrick Gregory. He showed at various points really questions about temperament and character. 
as well as his credibility on exactly what happened in response to those three credible and courageous survivors. You know, one thing that's really striking, though, um, is that this is not the Kavanaugh that we see during oral arguments on the D.C. Circuit. It certainly wasn't the Kavanaugh we saw during the first um, couple of days of his confirmation hearing. And, you know, some might argue that if, if Kavanaugh is really innocent of these claims, it might be exactly, you know, the kind of emotional and fiery response that you would expect to see from somebody. Right. It's It's tough because you know, sort of analogizing this to a trial, which some people have. Most times the defendant doesn't testify. Mm. Um, because and we see why. <laughs> exactly. And because, look, if you're falsely accused of something, hypothetically, let's say, your response would be indignation, you know, and you'd be angry. And so sometimes it's tough to differentiate between someone who is truly uh, expressing this anger out of righteous indignation and for good reason, uh, as opposed to someone who is, you know, harnessing really anger as part of the political process, regardless if it's if it's true or not. So, you know, certainly there's different ways that Judge Kavanaugh could have gone about it. But look, if this was a false allegation against him, then, you know, it's it's hard to think that you would not be as angry as he was, even still, um, that doesn't mean you need to attach a partisan element to it, but if you're Judge Kavanaugh and in your mind you did not do it and that's what you actually think and the way that events have unfolded, you're someone who sees this as a personal attack on you and you're fighting for your life and that's what he saw yesterday. Although, and when I say, you know, fighting for your life, he's fighting for what he's worked mm -hmm. his whole life to get. Mm -hmm. You know, this isn't actually a trial. He's not actually charged with a crime that could result in, in him actually being in prison, being put to death, anything like that. But what we saw was a response of someone uh, for whom those were the stakes. And so um, that's what we saw yesterday. Yeah, really, really difficult moment, not only for, you know, all the, the parties and specifically involved, but also for the, the court and I think us as the country. But, you know, as you mentioned, we have some history in this and we'll just have to see how it moves forward. Well, thank you, everybody, for listening along. Uh, and thank you, Jordan, for your insight into what we can't possibly know will happen. Always a pleasure. And you can follow along with all the latest Kavanaugh and Supreme Court news at Bloomberg Law. Thanks so much for listening. Thanks.